One thing I teach in my book that's really important for people to think about is that predators interview you. In other words, they are looking for um, to determine whether you're going to make a good victim or not. So the interview in quotations is their way of testing you to see if you're going to set a boundary and say, mm. hey, back off, or I'm not interested, okay. or if you're going to giggle and make nine. So your job is to fail the predator interview by being a bad potential victim. Mm. So when they when they make a, an inappropriate comment, you have to call them on it. You have to say, that's not cool, yeah. or I'm not interested, or whatever you need to say. And the more boundaries you put up, and the more mm-hmm. you stand firm in your boundaries, the more likely it is the predator's gonna say, eh, I'm not even gonna try with this person. You're listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? Do this stuff. I'm so interested in your photojournalism era, like, you know, war, were you inactive? I was active. Combat? Photography no, were, or yeah, I was I was combat photographer, but there was no combat period. It was during the Cold War. Oh wow! It was probably before you were born. Yeah, I've heard about the Cold War. What year were you born? <laughs> I was born in seventy-seven. Okay, so you were just five when I went in, or four when I went in. Well, thank you for your service. When I was five, four, you were doing your thing. So thank you. <laughs> that sounds like a very exciting job. What year combat, were you born? Uh, Eighty-one. Eighty-one. So that's yeah. the year I went in. Oh my god, I feel so freaking old. What branch? Marine Corps. Wow, Marine Corps. Yeah. Josh earlier was like, "You think if I get her permission, if she'll, if I can try and attack her and she can beat me up?" And I said, "I don't think that's a good idea." <laughs> live <laughs> on the podcast, not live, but you know, it'd be fun. If I just we don't have video, so it would just be a lot of like, oh, oh. So yep. maybe we, maybe yeah, we don't should, mess with her. <laughs> maybe we should bring the listeners up to speed on why we would even say that. But she has a book, right? You yeah. Know. So let me just start by giving you a little bit of info about CJ. Uh, she's an entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and author, expert in victim advocacy and personal security for women and children. She's given speeches and workshops at national and international events and has appeared on numerous radio and television programs, including MSNBC and NPR, and uh, most notably the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. She was a former roller skating car hop, U.S. Marine photojournalist, and holds an interdisciplinary master's in humanity with an emphasis in human violence from Old Dominion University. And lately, she's been up to, she's the author of The Badass Girl's Guide, Uncommon Strategies to Outwit Predators, which has won numerous awards, uh, including the, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it. Um, the Eric Hoffer Award. The Eric Hoffer Award. That's, a, that's an independent publishing award, yes. right? Yeah, that's sure awesome. Is. And now uh, she's currently working on a book called Confidence Rules for Kids, which is how to talk to your children about danger without scaring them to death. Uh, she's named one of the top 100 happy people on the planet. And her personal story of triumph and over adversity has been featured in several books, including bestsellers, Happy for No Reason and Be Invincible. And uh, so we're just really excited to talk to you. And your name sounds like a superhero. So hey. we're just going to assume yeah. you are a superhero. The <laughs> CJ Scarlet. We'll put some superhero music behind it. Today on the show, CJ Scarlet. We appreciate you wearing a cape. I thought that was a bold fashion move. Yeah, that was a great like surprise. Jumping into a little bit about the uh, the Badass Girl's Guide, Uncommon Strategies to Outwit Predators. Uh, when did that book come out? That book came out in late 2017, and I wrote it because I myself have been a victim of crime. I had been molested as a child, and then I um, was raped when I was a college freshman. Mm -hmm. And I grappled with the trauma for a decade, and then I took my power back, became an advocate for others who'd been victimized. I started uh, volunteering at rape crisis and domestic violence shelters. 
I took over as executive director of a child advocacy center for abused children. I worked as director of victims issues for the North Carolina attorney general's office. So I was helping crime victims and it was so rewarding, but it was also a high burnout job as you can imagine. Yeah. And I got very frustrated dealing with crime after it occurred. And so when I left the attorney general's office, I became an entrepreneur in the victim, victim technology space. Okay. And was asked to write the book back in 2016 and decided to write it because I wanted to do something proactive. I thought if I could teach women and girls how to stand in their power confidently, which is the number one predator repellent is your confidence, then I could teach them how to not be victimized in the first place. So instead of trying to deal with crime and victimization after it happened, I could do something yeah. more proactive. So, so it's the number one repellent to be confident. Be confident. Predators are looking for people who clearly are um, uh, anxious or right. slumped over or occupied on their cell phone, things like that. Do you think that's like a like a almost like a nature thing? Because don't they kind of pick off the weakest in the herd? Is how mm. a lot of animals hunt. So it's that's like on the Serengeti. You've got the the lion in the in the um, antelopes, and they look for the ones that are weakest. Yeah. And when you said that, it made a lot of sense. Because I'm like, of course, that's. That's a big deal. Yeah. They actually, inter uh, some people actually interviewed predators who were in jail and asked them to look at videos of people walking down the street and pick the ones they would victimize. And they chose the same people. Wow. And they were people who did not look confident, who looked anxious, who looked mm. around um, suspiciously and, and fearfully. Wow. That's, that's a great tip, but also a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so if you walk confidently with your head up and your eyes open and you're looking at your environment and when you see somebody, look them in the eye briefly, nod to acknowledge their presence, let them know you've seen them, and then look mm -hmm. away. And, I mean, even if you're alone in the street and someone approaches you, look them in the eye briefly. Yeah. Say, I see you, I acknowledge you, and then move on. I remember hearing advice similar to that. I used to, when I was in Minneapolis, I was going to school, and I worked the night shift at a drug rehab center called Teen Challenge. And so my shift started at 11. And so I'd walk like 10 city blocks at night to go to work because I didn't want to take my car. Then it was the, when it was the one that was close, but anywho, and then um, somebody else gave me some silly advice that I used once that worked for me, but it was essentially like, if somebody's acting weird, out weird them. Yeah. I, that's a really good advice. And so this happened to me once I was, I was walking to work and somebody was talking to themselves and just really making me feel weird. I was like, oh, I'm just going to up the ante here a little bit. And I just started like barking at them. Like I was a dog. <laughs> And they went to the other side of the street and I went to work. Nice. <laughs> oh my God. So they have a funny story about how they met a super crazy person, but I was just, you know, <laughs> trying to out crazy like them. Dog. Yeah. And that's not a scary dog bark. If I try to do it, it's like a little wimpy whiny one. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. One thing I teach in my book, it's really important for people to think about is that predators interview you. In other words, they are looking for um, to determine whether you're going to make a good victim or not. So the interview in quotations is their way of testing you to see if you're going to set a boundary and say, uh -huh. hey, back off or I'm not interested. Okay. Or if you're going to giggle and make nice. Right. If they make an inappropriate comment or, yeah. or something like Which that. Which is a big deal. A lot of people, that's their defense mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Especially women, especially women. And so your job is to fail the predator interview by being a bad potential victim. So when they, when they make an inappropriate comment, you have to call them on it. You have to say, that's not cool. Yeah. Or I'm not interested or whatever you need to say. And the more boundaries you put up and the more mm -hmm. you stand firm in your boundaries, the more likely it is the predator's going to say, eh, I'm not even going to try with this person. Move on to the next one. Yep. Well, yeah. Well, hopefully not, but 
Well, yeah, oh, hopefully stop forever would be the preferable. <laughs> Learn the error of your ways yeah. and become a, a decent man and move on with your life. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that, yeah. Joe. <laughs> that's, that's the next one. Terrible. Mm. Well, um, so what was, what was going on in your, in your professional career that somebody said, you should write this book when, when it came to the Badass Guide? Um, I was actually pitching a, a tech company for a product I had developed for victims of crime. It was, um, it was so cool. It was called the tiger eye security sensor and it was a wearable personal security device that you wore like a piece of jewelry. And when you called out for help, it would automatically turn on photograph and audio record the perpetrator, send it to a monitoring center like at ADT Mm. where they could talk to the perpetrator and say, this person, the police are on the way, leave this person alone Mm. and scare the perpetrator away while capturing the evidence. Kind of like a, but a, like a decorative body cam. It yeah, wouldn't look like a body cam. Exactly. But it would exactly. be like, hey, you're being held accountable yeah. right now. Is that what you're wearing right now on the right hand? Right on? No, oh. unfortunately, we weren't able to raise the money to, to finish the product and get it on the market. Oh. Which is, I was really disappointed that we weren't able to do that. You would have thought was, that that would have had some traction. Yeah, it's yeah. exciting. It's hard to raise money for software. I mean, for hardware. It's easier to raise it for software. Oh, okay. But it was tough. Maybe you could just make one of them. Joe could make one. <laughs> just, just it only a cost a million dollars to make the technology. It was so sophisticated. We're going to need a sponsor for that. <laughs> Back to that. Yeah, but I was speaking at a, at a, I was pitching at a conference for women entrepreneurs, and somebody heard me speak, and mm-hmm. she recommended that I write the book. And yeah. you know, I, as a as a former photojournalist, it's very easy for me to write, especially nonfiction. And so I sat down and banged it out and got the book on the market. Yeah, and your cover is great. Thanks. You, you should look award. it up on yes, Amazon. Just look it up. It's the Badass Girl's Guide. And uh, CJ Scarlet is the author. You can check out the cover. You got to make sure awesome. you put CJ Scarlet with one T because there's a CJ Scarlet with two T's who's also an author, but she writes oh, really? romance books. Oh, okay. interesting. Not you. She's yeah. feeding the machine and you're, you're <laughs> keeping it strong. Okay. There's been an uptick in a lot of, like that phrase, badass. I see it all over the bookstore now. It's uh, and it's in a lot of business books, like how to be, it's female centric or female empowerment kind of books about that. How did you hook on that terminology? Well, it's funny because the book title was originally, the working title was something like, um, I don't know, learning to live in a dangerous world or something. And I was mm-hmm. really disappointed with the title. And I was talking to an advisor and, and said that. And he said, well, what would you name it if you could? And without even thinking of it, I'd never thought of it before. I said, I call it the Badass Girl's Guide. And he said, well, what's stopping you? I was like, nothing. <laughs> He's like, that's a good title. the title of this book. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, it's a strong title. It, it's easy to remember. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The problem is with the media, sometimes they can use it on the media and sometimes they can't. So sometimes they have to cover the, the uh, title of the book when they're oh. talking about it. Well, that just makes you look edgy and cool. Yeah. yeah. Censored. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the show. My book is talking about the bad <laughs> <laughs> Just a lot of beeping in the episode. Gets your attention. <sighs> so um, what, was, what was the going on in your life at the time where you mentioned earlier about you were tired of dealing with the aftermath of it. What was the catalyst that got you thinking, well, I want to start getting into the preventative side and start empowering women too? Well, I realized, um, you know, as, as a former victim myself, as a survivor myself, that there were a lot of behaviors that I engaged in that were not helping me. One was the fact that I was raised to make nice, to make everyone around me feel comfortable, to make everything copacetic. And if anything, if I felt uncomfortable and my intuition started blaring, I would suppress it and, and actively work to make the person that was setting off my alarms feel okay. 
mm. feel comfortable. And so if somebody said something inappropriate to me or touched me inappropriately, I would literally make them feel okay about what they just done, trying to normalize the situation. That was my coping mechanism, which is not okay. Mm. And um, one day when I was working at the attorney general's office, my eight-year-old stepdaughter came to visit me and I took her to the cafeteria and there was a blind gentleman named Eddie who worked there. And Eddie was just a darling. And Amy and I walked in. I introduced Amy to, to Eddie, and I said, um, Eddie said, well, you sound really sweet. Come give Eddie a hug. And Amy, little eight-year-old Amy said, no, thank you. I was mortified. I thought, oh, my God, Eddie's <laughs> going to feel so bad about that. And then I thought, wait a minute. She has the right to not hug a complete stranger. Yeah. And that, that eight-year-old child taught me one of the most important lessons of my life, that it was not okay for me to try for myself to put myself in situations where right. I was in danger and that I needed to trust my intuition set and maintain my boundaries, and then act on them. Wow. That's a great story. Yeah. Is that in the book? Yeah, it is. Love it. So a little bit more about the, um, if you would, we find in, in, in these interviews that a lot of times there is a there is a why that drives people that get a lot of stuff done, like you, an entrepreneur, a, a book writer. Now you're writing another book that I really am excited to talk about because I got young kids in um. What do you think is the main why that drives you to do what you do? I think it's the fact that I, you know, growing up as a victim of child abuse, I felt a lot of shame. I felt a lot of guilt. I felt a lot of, uh, I had a lot of depression. And I chose early on in my childhood to make a, to recognize that things could be better but only if I did something proactive to make it better. And that's pretty amazing because I was four, year old, four years old when I made that decision. Mm. I had a vision. I'd just gotten in trouble for something. I'd gotten spanked. I was upset. It was like, I'm tired of this crap. I want to leave. And, and then I had this vision. And in the vision, basically, I, I, I learned that um, if I could just hang in there, I'd get to go to Disneyland one day. You know, if I could just hang in there, I'd get to be an adult. And, mm. I, and I would be the one making the decisions and being in charge. And so that, that really started driving me to um, take the situations that were happening to me, the, the molestations, and roll with them, kind of um, take them in stride and do whatever I could to overcome them. So I, people who are victimized tend to have different reactions. They may um, become a perpetrator themselves. They may curl up into a ball and remain in their victim thinking for the rest of their lives, mm -hmm. or a lot of them bounce back. We take the obstacles that are thrown our way and we turn them into opportunities or struggles into stepping stones. I mean, there's a million ways to say it, but we take the things that happen to us and we turn them into um, rocket fuel to yeah. propel us into success. Right. And so I feel like I've always been driven. I've always believed that things that were happening to me were not fair and weren't meant to be and that I could do something about it. And that feeling that I had some sort of control um, enabled me to make choices in my life that served me yeah. today still. In, in these books where your, where your life story was featured and um, it's talking about how you got this story about overcoming and triumph. Do you know, can you pinpoint a time? Was it, was it like a specific time or was it a, a years where it just felt like I was in the situation where I was enduring and then the light switch went off and it's like, now I've overcome. I had a very specific situation. Um, in 1990, I was diagnosed with lupus and scleroderma, which are autoimmune diseases. 
And I was debilitated off and on over the years. But by 1999, I, I became very ill and completely debilitated. I had to go up and down the stairs on my hands and knees. I couldn't hold a coffee cup. I couldn't turn a doorknob. I was, I was 125 pounds heavier because I was on massive doses of steroids. And so I was miserable. And I found out in 2002 that my heart was failing, that I was going to die at any time. They'd give me a terminal prognosis. And I was terrified. I had all these wild dreams that I was sucked into tornadoes. I was stabbed. I was shot. I was choked by this dark man who was coming to kill me in all these dreams. I remember one Mm. dream. I was driving a car and it flew off a cliff and I landed hard on the ground. And I thought, well, this is a dream. I can't die in the dream. And I saw something flutter slowly to the ground. And I reached over and I picked it up and it was a death certificate. (laughs) (laughs) My mind was trying to wrap itself around the idea that I was facing death. And I reached, you know, I was so consumed by my own suffering that I forgot that everybody's fighting a hard battle. Mm. But I had the opportunity to meet privately with a Tibetan Buddhist Lama in 2004. And I hobbled up to the Lama's house and I made a pitiful bow and I burst into tears and I poured out my tale of woe and I waited for him to shower me with sympathy. Yeah. And that's when I learned that Lamas don't do dramas. <laughs> because the Lama kindly but sternly said, stop feeling sorry for yourself and start thinking about the happiness of other people. And I was offended. He was telling me I shouldn't feel sorry for myself. And I argued with him, which you also don't do with a llama. (laughs) And he insisted, stop feeling sorry for yourself and start thinking about the happiness of other people. So on the way home, I'm thinking, what can I possibly do in my debilitated state when an ambulance flew by with a siren blaring and I said a quick wish for the person inside that they would find help and healing? And I thought, well, that was simple. I can do that. So I started sending good wishes to the drivers around me. I started letting the mom with the crying baby go ahead of me in line at the grocery store, leaving the better handicapped spot, and I felt happier. And so I started to do daily acts of kindness. I gave my cane to a woman who was struggling to walk and left inspirational notes on the driver's side door at the cancer center and volunteered at the Red Cross after Hurricane Katrina, and I felt better. Mm. And I reached a point where I was so filled with joy that it no longer mattered whether I was sick or well or even living or dying, I was content. And at that point, my condition went into remission all within 18 months. Wow. And the big lesson out of that was that I realized that even though I had accomplished all these things up to my 30s, I still had a very strong victim mentality. And taking myself out of my own suffering and focusing on the needs of others mm. eliminated that. Yeah. It gave, it gave it let me know that I um, didn't need to be the victim of life, that I had control, that I chose my reality. Yeah. And that I could choose to benefit others. And that the payoff is huge when you do that. Yeah. That's awesome. I've heard so many times a an analogy similar to the one you just said, but it's the the enemy in, is usually selfishness, like getting outside of yourself. But I think victim is a very enlightening way to think about that thing. Because um, it's it's very a victim is thinking about themselves and what's happening to themselves. And I think it's a very strong synonym for that that same principle. Like, you don't need to be a victim. You can help other people. And then that takes you from victim to hero. I love that idea, too, that it didn't just happen like in a week. It was 18 months. Yeah. Because it takes a while to break a mentality. Mm-hmm. And it probably started out like, I would imagine, I know how I am. It would be like little moments of self-doubt. Like, great job. You send somebody well wishes an ambulance. You're great now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, you do something long enough and repeated enough, you start seeing yourself as this new person, because you are, it's not just at, at, I'm, that's why I asked the question. Cause I was wondering actually at length. So like, how long did it take acting a certain way before it clicked? And you were like, well, now I am not the victim. I am the, 
How do you view yourself now? Like, what's the, the Oh my God, I am a total badass. I'm That's badass. actually on my badass card. That's actually on my business card. Total badass is my title on yeah. my business card. And I feel like that. I feel like I am completely in charge of my life. I choose what happens next. I mean, life will happen to me. Things will happen to me, but I have 100% control over how I react to it. Um, imagine you're walking down a street and someone, and suddenly someone shoves you to the ground and you're bruised and battered and your your hands are scraped and you're, you look up at them and you're like so upset and angry with them. And then you realize they just shoved you out of the path of a speeding car and saved your life. Suddenly yeah. you're filled with gratitude and you appreciate this person and you even love this person. The exact same thing happened. You had two totally opposite reactions depending on what, you know, how you perceive the situation. Right. And life is like that. We can perceive an, my illnesses or my molestations or whatever as tragedies and traumas and things, terrible things that happened to me. And I could curl up into a ball and just wait for the end. Yeah. Or I can see them as opportunities to tap into my courage and my resilience right. and use them as ways to be the voice for other people who don't have a voice. Yeah. And so it became um, the driver for me and it became the opportunity of my life that gives me purpose. That's awesome. I really want to talk about the new book that you're working on right now. What's yeah. the title of it? Um, I'm kind of going back and forth with the title right now. It's called Confidence Rules for Kids, How to Talk to Your Kids About Danger Without Scaring Them to Death. But I also like um, raising sa uh, safe, savvy kids, raising yeah. safe, savvy kids. So I'm kind of I'm going to do a Facebook contest and see who likes which title. best. Yeah. I like the first one. I, I like the first one. Confidence Rules for Kids. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll tell you, I like the the description of what confidence rules for kids is. Because one of the questions I wanted to ask you is like, what age? Because I'm assuming you're deep into research and you've been oh, interviewing yeah. people and um, the whole like loss of innocence thing, like how to how to help them understand this without scaring them to death. Like as I imagine when my kids were a little younger, like now they're 12 and 14. And so these conversations don't seem as difficult to have as when they were eight or six mm -hmm. when they needed the conversation. But at a certain point, when you tell a child something as hard to hear as like some men are predators and they're looking at you to do bad stuff to you, you've now lifted a veil of childhood that you can't pull back down yeah. again. <laughs> and my book starts, you know, my book is for kids two to 22. So the book is written for parents as a guide, a manual. Right to help them um, understand how to talk to their children about danger, about bullying and sexual assault and molestation and kidnapping and human trafficking and mm -hmm. all those horrible things in a, in a way that's age appropriate and that puts, um, puts it into perspective for the child. So right. I start out in the beginning putting things into perspective for parents because the media will convince you NC, uh, CISI and SUV, victim SUV and all that other stuff, yeah. SVU, will convince you that people are being murdered and raped and tortured and kidnapped and children Once an episode. Taken. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it's just crazy. And even I was under the impression when I would see the National Missing and Exploited Children website that 800,000 children are missing and exploited. It was horrifying. I was terrified for my grandchildren because I have twin four-year-olds and a two-year-old grandchild. <laughs> and um, then I started doing the research and actually only about 100 children are taken in stereotypical kidnappings a year by strangers in America, in America, only about a hundred, the rest are runaways or, um, people who are taken by parents, abducted by parents right. or relatives or things like that. And a hundred is way too many. I mean, I'm not right, saying right, right. that it, the number's not significant, but it's not 800,000. Right. So it's like 800 kid. that like some stranger grabs you off the street. Worst case scenario, walking around in Disney world, your kid's gone. Yes. The rest of them are more believable scenarios where it's a marriage gone bad or an 
yeah, custody dispute. You know, something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. And in fact, only about 99.5% of people will never be the victim of a violent crime. Never. Right. 99.5%. And so I give the parents these numbers. I tell them the big stats first, you know, that half of all children will be abused or assaulted in their lifetime, which is about a billion kids a year in the world. Mm. Scary. And then I take it down to the more concrete level and say, well, how realistic is it that your child will actually be victimized? Right. And the numbers are very, very small. And you can make it zero or near zero by doing these particular things. And so the book, I lay out who the, who the threats are. So you've got for the different age groups. So for toddlers and babies, you've got uh, babysitters, you've got relatives, you've got older kids. And all the way on up till the kids are 22 and in college. And then you've got coaches and you've got professors and you've got peers. And I, I break things down according to the type of um, behavior. So I cover molestation and child abuse and um, sexual assault and trafficking, mm-hmm. bullying, cyberbullying, things like that. And then at the end of the book, I actually have it. So for two to four-year-olds, here's how you have a conversation with them. Yeah. Or five to eight-year-olds. Like very practical. Like very even, practical. Like some starter sentences kind of yes. stuff. And I'm going to be doing a video series that's going to accompany this that will actually have the conversation. So you can watch the video with your child right. and then have a conversation about it. It's kind of be me as Mr. Rogers, me as the badass grandma having a conversation yeah. saying, okay, here's how you talk to your kids. And it's not a one-time conversation. These are conversations you need to have through throughout your child's life. And so what I'm going to recommend is that you have monthly family meetings And as part of the family meetings, there's a safety talk. And then there's also ongoing opportunities when your child comes home and says, so-and-so was bullied today. It's like, have you ever been bullied? Has anybody ever said anything mean to you? You take advantage of the situations as they appear, but you also make it a habit. That's a very effective parenting technique. Instead of like taking the situations when they come up and making them teachable moments Mm -hmm. gives it more weight than like just. Like, sit down, we're going to have a conversation about something random that might not have happened in the last month to your yes. life. Yes. Yeah. Um, I always feel that, and I've seen, like, I feel like I've missed some opportunities with my kids when, like, oh, that would have been the time to talk about it, um, when it's fresh on everybody's minds. It was yeah. fun. When you're talking about you being, like, Mr. Rogers, you know how he kind of changes his shirt and puts yeah, on, puts on shoes? Sweater I just shoes. imagine, like, you just putting on, like, brass knuckles. Now we're going to talk <laughs> about... <laughs> That's a great idea, actually. <laughs> With some sweet music playing. It's because a I will be day in the neighborhood, but I'll mess you up if you mess with me. <laughs> I'll also be talking about um, how your child can fight back if they have to. Um, a lot of kids, you know, self-defense classes and martial arts training right. is great, but you have to do it over and over and over and over again to mm-hmm. become proficient at it. And most people are never going to do that. So I teach people how to release their inner Tasmanian devil. And basically go bonkers on their, on the predator's ass. You just go insane. Mm. You bite, kick, scratch, gouge, twist, pinch, scratch, do everything you can to get away. And if you are a hot mess of fists and feet and fangs, um, the predator is going to be shocked and surprised. And if you're yelling at the same time, they don't want right. anybody to see them. They don't want to be caught. So they're likely and, to. And you said to get them. away. So it's not like MMA. You're not trying to get them to tap out. You're trying to get them to leave and then you leave. Yes, you're trying to get away as, as much as possible. And and 84% of the time, people who fought back were able to get away. Yeah. Now, you sometimes you have to comply because you, and, and, and only the person in a situation can determine what is, is necessary for them, what, what the best choice is for them. But sometimes they've got a gun pointing at your head. Mm. You know, although I will say that if they try to take you to another location, get, get in my car or get in this alley or whatever, you've got to fight for your life because the outcome probably will not be good at that point. So you're, 
in that case, you might be, it's likely you're fighting for your life. You should do yes. it now before then. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Is there, are you going to include, have you thought about including any portion of your book? Like Josh mentioned earlier, it was pre-show. I don't think it was in the show about I'm raising a son. Like what are some of the things that you talk to young men about? I'm, I'm working on that right now because my focus over the last 30 years has largely been women and girls. This is a mm -hmm. new area for me to cover boys. And it's interesting because in writing the book, um, I'm switching the genders up as I talk about, you know, so this right. is happening to your daughter. This is happening to your son. And um, are there uh, any stats on female predators? Yeah, I've got to imagine like I'm, my guess is it's super low. It is very low. Most of the time it's a male predator. Yeah. There are female predators. You have the teacher who has an appropriate relationship with a student or something yeah. like that. You have a, a, a female who might molest a child. But probably super so, low. So low. Yeah. You hear a news story yeah. every once in a while and it's a news story because it never happens. Yeah. You know, and people <clears> think that boys are not um, abused at the same rate that girls are. And that's simply not true. There are more research is coming in that's showing that while one in three to one in four girls are going to be sexually assaulted before they're 18, um, it's about one in six with boys. So it's not, you know, boys are being molested and so that means abused at a higher rate than we it's thought. The men are most likely the abusers in that situation. Yes. Yeah. It's almost 100% heterosexual males that are doing the abuse. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. It helps, um, you know, so you can tell your child, for example, if they get, if you get lost in Walmart, go find a mother with children, a woman with children. Right. And ask her for help. Because if you ask a guy, first of all, you don't know, you know, your chances of having me a predator are a little higher. Sure. But a guy's also likely to say, go talk to the store manager over there and point. A woman is not going to let that child out of her sight until she finds a parent. Yeah. And so um, knowing that it's mostly guys gives you a little bit of an edge because you can be more careful. You know, is it smart to hire a male babysitter? Right. For example, you know, you got to think about these things. Yeah. I remember that line being on a bunch of sitcoms, like people getting hired as mannies, male nannies. nannies. And it's funny as an idea, but <laughs> it's trouble. Yeah. It's potential trouble, I suppose. No, the, uh, no it's trouble. It's trouble. <laughs> the, uh, because I was thinking, like, the thought has really, literally, I don't think, ever entered my mind to victimize a woman. And I imagine that's most men. Um, there's there's this outline thing that you really need to educate people to be aware of. Um, and you mentioned you, you brought up Southern. What do you think the line is for people? Um, you didn't say Southern. I said Southern. You said mm -hmm. really nice to people and making people feel at yeah. ease. And I kind of think of that as Southern charm in a lot of cases. But the... How do you help people understand or help a young woman understand or any woman understand? Like you can just being a badass to ward off predators is one thing, but it, you're not mean. Like when I first met you, it's not like you did any of these tactics to me. Like nope. I wasn't probably sending any signals that were like punch me in the face. Like how do you help people understand the difference between this doesn't mean that you're just now this weird person that doesn't form that any relationships at all. Just a thought out bitch I yeah mean, don't, you don't have to do <laughs> there's that. a you difference can... between badass and it just yeah, yeah yeah gotcha yeah and so um i teach people to be as rude as necessary to get the person yeah. away from them and so sometimes you know i used to see girls in bars who would who would be rude to the guys who were hitting on them and thought they were just bitches yeah and then i realized that you know they they had to to get these guys sure. out of their back that's a good point. instance right because that's like a very like if somebody's hitting on you and it's unwanted attention, that to me feels like an instance where this is totally appropriate behavior. Like, yeah. like you should be as mean as you need to be yeah. to get the person. But there's a lot of space in between 
over um, being overly nice and being absolutely a bitch. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of space for, I'm sorry, but you're making me uncomfortable. Please right. back off. Because I would think of you as a very sweet person. Like Thanks, when we I met and we that. talked and I don't think Just that, don't mess with my grandkids. Yeah. I can imagine like in a second. there's a switch that goes off and yeah. then it's like, oh, I get it. I get it now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I think that'd be an important point. I wanted to talk about too. I've read another book and I don't want to talk about it because I don't like to talk about stuff that I don't think is good. But I read this book that's a popular book on parenting for dads and daughters. And I didn't like it because it just felt like fear mongering. It was all like, this could all happen. And there was no common sense balancing. And I think the way you talked about starting your book with like, these are the real numbers would have mm -hmm. changed it for me with that book. Like, even mm -hmm. if that would have been in the first chapter, I'd have been like, oh, okay. So now I need to get into this. But it was just doom, gloom, bad, 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 bad. And those are most of the books that I, when I've been doing my research, I've read about 40 books mm -hmm. that are on. on you would topic. know the one that I'm talking about, but yeah, I would only talk. Probably. And so, <laughs> yeah. And most of them are doom and gloom. They put the numbers out there without going a little deeper into the numbers, like the 800,000 missing and exploited children. They put that out there without right. explaining that most of those are runaways and who are definitely endangered. Right. No doubt about that, but that they're not kids who were kidnapped and snatched and, right. you know, are in a basement, somebody's basement right now or, or lying in a field somewhere. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, book, there are a lot of authors who have not been responsible right. on this topic. And I'm, so I'm I want gonna. to make this book the best manual you can possibly find on the subject that a parent can read and go, okay, this is scary stuff, but you know what? It's not, it's not as bad as I imagined it was, and I have power and control to be able to do something proactive right. for my child, to teach them to protect and defend themselves when I'm not around. Right. And so it gives them that confidence and that child that confidence to be to be that predator repellent I talked about. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like, it's like a lot of things in life. Equipping yourself with a set of tools puts you in a situation where you're you're, you're better off than you were not having trained or equipped yourself with these tools. What are some of the really practical tips? Like, say you had a teenage girl and you were talking about this topic of, you know, um, protecting yourself. What are some of the best tips that you would give to a teenage girl? The one thing, there's one word that could have saved me virtually every awful traumatic incident I ever experienced. And that word is no. And I was never taught that it was okay for me to say no. And so I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. When a guy would come on to me and in, in a way that was making me really uncomfortable, I didn't know it was okay for me to set a boundary and say no. So I would say to every young woman, you have complete choice over when and where you use your body mm -hmm. and you have the right. And if you're my daughters, it's much later, later than it is now. Yeah, you have the, yeah that's right. Much later, <laughs> much, much later, 20 years from now. But you have the right and responsibility to say no and to make that very clear because um, I'm not ever saying that it's a, a, a woman's fault if she's raped. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, but. If you can be clear about what you're, what you mean and convey that to the person you're with, chances right. are higher that they'll stop mm -hmm. and that if they don't, you've made it, you have done everything you could. Yeah. And so it builds a stronger criminal case against that person that you with, you know, that you repel, try to repel him. Yeah. That's good advice. There's another piece of advice from me and CJ that I've got in the book, and that's if uh, for girls, and, the, and again, your girls won't be here for another 20 years, but um, <laughs> unfortunately, if, that's if, not if true. If you're going to go on a date, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to go on a date and you know you don't want to have sex, don't shave your legs. Yeah. 
a friend taught me this when I was 19. I was working for the Forest Service as a firefighter. And she she, she said, uh, do I shave my legs or don't I shave my legs before we went on a double date? I was like, why? You know, what's the deal? And she said, well, I don't know whether I want to have sex with this person or not. I was like, wow, that really works because no woman's going to have sex without shaving her legs. <laughs> it's yeah. like She's the, just not going to do it. It's like the way to help yourself make the decision That's beforehand. Right. Like, oh, I'm not. No, I don't and want this. And then if you get to... tempted later, you're like, oh, damn it. I didn't shave my legs. <laughs> so I'm not going to have sex with this person. I've always heard that good piece of advice, like the, the backseat of the car it's too late to make the decision yeah like when, it, when unless the legs are hairy unless the legs are, then there's there's a motivator on the side of the i don't there, there's probably not an equivalent for that with guys no probably not we just don't have the same kind of personal grooming discipline that women have <laughs> <laughs> but you don't Joe. i don't yeah i don't know what your personal grooming is josh we've entered into a weird topic <laughs> well let's talk about it josh i just can't no. <laughs> When you were back dealing with the, the criminal cases, that kind of that foundational side, you said you were working with the DA for a while. What the was, attorney general. The attorney general. What was, what was your role and what, what did a day look like for you? I was a director of victims issues and it was a really cool job because um, there was no definition for what I was supposed to do. So they let me do pretty much anything I wanted. Mm -hmm. So a typical day would be um, talking with victims of crime. And referring to the right resources in their local communities. Sometimes I would get um, families of murder victims who wanted the cases reopened, and I would do my best to convince people to reopen the cases. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was helping work on legislation to improve the laws to protect victims of crime. Uh, the coolest thing I did was that I initiated and co-led the implementation, this is a mouthful, of the nation's first statewide automated victim notification system. Put simply, um, there is a system called Saving in North Carolina where you can sign up to be notified if, before your perpetrator is released from custody so you can take precautions. I've heard that safety. in the news. Yeah, I've heard yeah. that. Yeah. And that was you. That was me. Wow. Yeah. And it's been in place for 20 years. I was told by the Chief Justice of the State Supreme Court that that magical phone system would never be implemented under his watch. And it's been in place for 20 years. Yeah. When I heard it, I know it was controversial when it came out, but that seems like information that people should know. Yeah, it's, it, it seems <laughs> It seemed like common sense and people yeah. were fighting against it. And I was like, I don't yeah. get the other side of the argument personally. Yeah, victims' rights is a relatively new thing. Yeah. I mean, 20 years ago, victims didn't have the right to give impact statements. They didn't have the right to, um, to get notified of the different hearings and things like that. And now those things are codified. They're mm -hmm. in the law. So victims are better protected and, and are able to stay on top of the process and help protect themselves and and you know, gives them a little more feeling of control and the justices in their favor. Yeah. Well, I want to uh, tell people again, you can purchase this book right now on Amazon, The Badass Girl's Guide, and I recommend you do that. What are some other things that you're doing? Maybe if you're in the triangle and you're local, it says you're a public speaker. Do you have things coming up? Can, uh, I just did a speech for the UN Women. I'm going to be doing a national book tour and speaking tour for Confidence Rules for Kids. And well, that's going to be um, exciting. Yeah. Did you get I, to do a national book tour for your last book? I didn't do a national book tour for the last book. I did a local book launch. It was just so much fun. We had a great yeah. time with that. Well, this has got to be like that times like a million, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to be working with a national, uh, a major national sponsor as their spokesperson coming up. And I can't mention the sponsor yet, but um, I'll be all over the country and maybe in some commercials and yeah. promoting the book. And they'll be helping market the book to their maybe get to do 7 like, million customers. Maybe do a media junket. You get to be on some shows. I will maybe. definitely be doing the morning shows and some national That's media. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, it is. Because this book, there's nothing like this book out there. And that's one of the challenges with doing the research is I'm not finding precedence for what I'm trying to accomplish and convey in this book. Mm. But that's also good because that means I'm the first 
yeah. to really get this information out there in this way. It's very timely. It's very um, proactive and, and hopeful. It makes people feel hopeful when they read it. Like, like I can do something to right. help my child instead of feeling paralyzed. Right. And so I think it's going to get a really good uh, response in the national media. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's you and you're just like one of those people that want to stick your head in the sand and feel like there's way too much bad stuff going on, I don't even want to mess with it. The path out of that is to educate yourself about it and learn these principles and techniques and teach them. And it really will have that kind of lifting effect of being like, oh, it's it's going to exactly. feel hopeful, which it should. It doesn't sound like it should, but I can totally see how it would. Yeah. You, you have just said something so important that the antidote to paralysis and hopelessness. It happens on accident to me a lot. Action and activity. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I say important <laughs> stuff on accident. Never on purpose. I'm sorry. Right. I interrupted you. <laughs> that was very profound. <laughs> yeah, that's really important. Um, when you when you look at your child and you're laying there in bed at night because they haven't come home yet and you're terrified and you're imagining every awful scenario that's out there or you're sending your eight-year-old to school and you know that there's bullying going on and your child showing symptoms that maybe something's wrong and you don't mm-hmm. know what to say or do, there is you have so much power in the situation. And I'm going to tell you exactly how to talk to your child in a way that's at your child's level, whether they have a nonverbal learning disability or they're at the mm-hmm. regular age group. And um, make you feel confident that you can protect your child and that they can protect, you're teaching them to protect themselves when you're not around. Yeah. And there's so much peace of mind that comes with that. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of in those same situations, instead of being worried as a parent that your child isn't home yet, you can have at least the confidence knowing that they know what to do if something mm-hmm. bad has happened, that they're yeah. going to. And I'm not going to be real popular with teenagers because I'm, I'm recommending that, you know, electronics are privileges. They are not rights. Yeah. And the parents have the right to monitor and let the child know that their content's being monitored, their social media is being monitored. Yeah. It's a scary, scary world out there when it comes to the cyberbullying yeah. and, the, and the the online predation. I know you that need to keep your child safe. My daughters won't appreciate hearing this, but I'm totally on that side. Like we didn't have when I was young, there was no idea that like this is private mom and dad. You can't dare come into my space and look at what's going on. But for some reason. There's this notion floating around that phones are private and that they are off limits for parents. A and, shocking number of teenagers are sending pictures of themselves right. to other people and they can literally be charged with a federal crime. See, that's so important. I don't think people yes. talk about that enough. Like no. people think of like sexting. It's a bad idea. It's an illegal thing. Yeah. And if they're a minor, it can be considered um, uh child pornography right. they can they can literally be charged with a federal crime right. for sending a picture of their own body to someone else to another minor to another minor uh, either way just sending that yes. out is really and 12 and 13 year olds have been convicted wow. charged and convicted of child pornography for doing just that wow one yeah. because the whole act is wrong and it should be illegal but two like images that you take they show up mm-hmm. um, and they stay out there forever cuz your pictures are Instantly uploaded to the cloud. That's right. And the cloud is not just a cloud. <laughs> Remember, it's somebody else's computer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's not a cloud. And you don't know what they're doing there. with that. You don't yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, I was joking earlier that if Facebook and Girls Gone Wild had been around when I was a teenager, my boobs would be all over the internet yeah. right now. Yeah. That is true. It's a hundred percent true. Well, you need to teach your kids <clears> that, you know, again, you're monitoring their their social media and their phones and stuff like that. And if you find pictures of them, inappropriate pictures of them, that's a hammerable offense, meaning you will take their cell phone and you will smash it to smithereens. That there are certain things that, you know, you're going to get your phone taken away for two weeks yeah. or whatever, but there are some that are hammerable offenses where you simply say, you just lost your right 
and privileged to this technology forever because yeah. you did something so inappropriate that I can't trust you. Do you think that will ever change? Because now there's all this talk about like the internet being a basic human right. Do you think at some point there might be legislation that put that at risk? I hope like you not. can't dare take somebody's internet away. Yeah, I hope that they don't have legislation, you know, that that takes your internet away and monitors it and stuff like that. But people people do things online they would never do in person. Right. It's it prevents it provides a level of anonymity and and um you can hide behind it. And yeah. people say and do the most god awful things. People I, think they can hide behind it. Like with any amount of digging in the appropriate forensic software, like you can be found out. But like the majority of the time, if you say something mean on Facebook from a fake account, they're not going to go through the effort to find you. But they totally could if they wanted to go through the effort and talk to the right people. What are some of the tips and tricks you give people when it comes to cyberbullying? Because um, you can't really you can't really exude confidence the way you were talking about. Like if you're walking down the street, or can you from your social media profile? Really, the only tool you have in social media profile is to ignore and delete and take yourself away from it, take a vacation from it. I actually was helping Does reporting help? Reporting can help, but it's really difficult. It is, you know, I know that with a lot of digging, you can ultimately find who's responsible. Not always, mm -hmm. but most of the time you can find who's responsible, especially when it's stupid teenagers doing stupid kid yeah. stuff. But I've been working with a mom and her daughter and the daughter was being cyberbullied and encouraged to kill herself. Because her boyfriend, she broke up with her boyfriend. He was upset. And and so he started spreading these rumors that she was a slut. And all these other terrible things were happening. And all the kids glommed onto it yeah. and started cyberbullying this poor girl. And the school's attitude was, well, just tell her not to look at her social media. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah, great advice. Yeah. <laughs> How do you stop that? They were sending her Snapchats that disappear almost instantaneously. Yeah telling her to kill herself and she doesn't know who's sending her these messages. And so how do you combat something like that? And part of it is to change your social media accounts and do things like that. Um, but once kids are, I'm just going to say it because this is an, you said this is explicit. Okay. Yeah, sure. Kids can be assholes. Yeah. You know, they really can. They, tr they're, they're terrible to each other. And it's <laughs> not news to anybody that's it. been a kid. No, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, but they can be terrible to each other mm -hmm. and they do get this group mentality, these teenagers. And when a rumor goes around about somebody, they can jump onto the pack, you know, pile on the rabbit. And then suddenly that person is ostracized and harassed right. and, and the kids are literally committing suicide because the harassment has gotten so bad. Worst thing we were worried about when I was a teenager was somebody a fist fight behind the agri building. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and most fist fights for guys, like, I don't know what it was like for you, but then those guys became friends. It's yeah, like, now we got it out of the system. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. You want to sit together lunch tomorrow? Great. You know? <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people think that bullies are people who don't have self-esteem and who are secretly or, you know, that they, they secretly are insecure and all this other stuff. And that's true in some cases, but there are a lot of very confident, entitled people who are bullies mm. and girls they don't picture girls as being bullies, but when it comes to the cyberbullying, girls can be vicious. Yeah, they they will decide a, a girl who doesn't go along with them or feed their ego or whatever is suddenly the enemy. They can turn the entire school against this one poor child, and she has almost no recourse. Yeah. Now there are legal things you can do, and you can get restraining orders, and you can send letters of cease and desist, which can help. Um, and you can you can get engage in a civil suit if you can't do something criminally. And mm -hmm. so there are some tools you have that I'll talk about in the book. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. It's a whole kind of new frontier oh, of man. weirdness. Because um, like we all had we all grew up with bullies, and um, there's an element to a bully that is fed by like when you come up with a good cut down for somebody, or you feel like you've really 
minimize somebody that you feel like, I doubt it actually happens, but people are looking at you like, oh, that person's cool. And so you got to imagine that a lot of that happens online. Like when somebody's bullying somebody, they want it to be public and seen by their friends so they can mm-hmm. have them jump on and be like, oh, yeah. good one. They get validated gotcha. for it. And yeah, they get some it. kind of validation out of it. And um, and kids are on social media. I mean, it's it's not like a stick your head in the sand thing. Social media is part of our lives now. How do we how do we train people to make good decisions in this new medium? And I'm glad that somebody's like trying to tackle oh, it and yeah. say, here's here's some principles. And when it's teenagers, all bets are off. Their brains, they're just not right in the head. I mean, their brains have not fully developed yet. They're, yeah. they're not cooked. And when you, I found that that doesn't really help me as a parent when I'm like, you got to understand where you now your brain's working this way, but I'm telling you, like, if you could fast forward and be 30 and we were having this conversation, you would hear it completely different. <laughs> I swear to God, I knew everything when I was 15. Yeah. I knew it all and I knew how to make the right choices for myself. And I, and I was completely wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. completely wrong. But I was convinced and you could not convince me otherwise. Right. And they literally misread people's facial expressions and, and tones. And when you add the the anonymity, anonymity of the internet to that, where you can easily misread the tone of an right. email or a tweet, um, it just amplifies the problem. Yeah. And I wish that there was a way to help people. I feel like there's this really bad precedent set for parents like myself or if you have teenagers or even younger kids that there's, if you see on media and everything, anytime a parent is nosy and looks at somebody's phone, they don't trust them. Well, that's crap. It has nothing to do with me not trusting my kids. I love them and my job is to protect them and to be there for them. And so when I feel like it might be necessary, my mind is not like, oh, I sure don't trust them. Of course I trust them. They're my kids, you know, but um, trust is the wrong thing. But like, I you see don't so trust many, the rest of the world. It's like defensive yeah. <laughs> driving. It's not your kid you're worried about. It's the other idiots on the road right. you're worried about. Yeah, that's a great way to say it's not yeah. you that I don't trust. It's everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's fantastic. Yeah. So any other ways that people can get in touch with you um, if they wanted to maybe book you as a speaker or see what's coming up on your calendar that we can put in the show notes for people? Absolutely. I've got a, a <laughs> website, um, www.cjscarlet.com, and that's C-J-S-C-A-R-L-E-T, like the color red. One T. One T. One T. You go and to the second T lady yeah. and you got a whole different thing. Although I do have cjscarlet.com <laughs> with two T's also that will fool Ah, take that so lady. spell it. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> yeah. The poor author with two T's doesn't have her own web address, but um, they can also get me at cjscarlet.com CJ yeah. and I'll be happy to, to talk with them if they're in a situation that they might need a referral somewhere, if they right. um, have questions about the book or they want to know how they get the book. When does the new book come out? Do you know? Uh, February 2020. Is there a, okay. Is there a place that they can go to, to sign up to be like first to know when? Yes. On my website. Okay, great. There's a place where they can sign up to get notified. I think that's going to be an exciting book. You should definitely check it out. I, you know, you know what I love about this book is that I feel like I'm helping to change the paradigm for parents so that we can in the future raise new generations of kids who are informed and empowered by parents who are informed and empowered. Right. Yeah. And when parents arm their children with knowledge and with at real world tactics and tips and tools they can use to protect and defend themselves. Um, kids will apply those kids. Kids listen to you as a parent more than you realize. And especially if you start them young or you do things like, um, encourage them to talk by giving them a get out of jail free card, which is, you know, if you do something really inappropriate, you're out at a party and you smoke or drink and you know, it's not safe. You can call me at three o'clock in the morning. I'll come get you and we won't have a fight about it. Yeah. We'll discuss it calmly the next day. But the way you get your kids to talk to you about things, kids, kids, for example, will get an inappropriate 
um, email or message from somebody online, ask them to send a picture of themselves and they may do it because, and then realize later it was a mistake if they start getting blackmail for it, for example. And they're mm-hmm. terrified to tell you because they know they did something wrong. If you raise your children to say, when you tell me that this bad thing happened, it makes me trust you more because right. I know that you're recognizing and using your judgment. And so, right. you know, instead of me saying, well, clearly you did something wrong. You're never going to get to use the internet again. That becomes another teachable moment where you say, wow, I'm so glad you recognize this was wrong. Let's talk about how to keep this from happening again. Yeah. And so make, instead of making it a punitive thing, so your child's terrified to talk to you, they know they, they come to learn that you are a trusted source who will be reasonable and rational with right. them. And help them make sense and get out of the situation yeah. that they're in and help them come up with, here's yeah. ways to make sure you don't put yourself in that again. That's mm-hmm. huge. Because I hear my six-year-old always saying, is that bad? Did I mess up? Did I do this? And he's looking for that. Mm-hmm. So that, to know that, encourage him to trust us and that we trust him more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like wording it that way. I'm proud of you for sharing that with me. I'm not mad. I trust you more. Yeah. That's great. That's a great yeah. tactic. Cause yeah. like, Thanks for like that. I was saying on the flip side of like, why don't you trust me? Then you also have this, like, it's not really trust, but if you want to build trust, this is how, this is how you build trust. You're honest and transparent. There was a uh, couple that we were friends with in Mississippi and it blew my mind how honest their kids were with them. And they never reacted poorly. Like you thought they would when they were teenagers and they would do something that is like maybe PG 13 dumb or all the way rated R dumb. It'd be like, well, thank you for telling me. And we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And the so, kids consistently went to their parents and told them stuff. Yeah. And sometimes your kids will tell you stuff you don't know that you really want to hear. But <laughs> yeah. once you lay that out there, you've got to be as cool with that as with anything else they provide. So when they tell you, well, I lost my virginity last night because they're so comfortable talking to you. Yeah. You've got to collect yourself and go, oh, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm not ready to talk about that right now. Give me 15 minutes or give me, <laughs> we'll talk about this tomorrow or whatever. But yeah. um, your your child will come to see you as a source of, of um, advice and guidance and leadership rather than this punitive figure that's going to come down on them every time they do something wrong. And, yeah. I, and the other thing I encourage in the monthly meetings that I'm going to uh, recommend to parents is that the, the da- is daily sharing, yeah. where instead of just saying, how was school today, there I'm going to get them specific questions they can ask that are going to draw their child out and help them recognize when something's going off track early on in the process. But one of those things is, um, you know, what mistakes did you make today? Let's talk about your failures, because your failures are so important for you to learn. Right. And get the child comfortable with the idea of failure and see it as a stepping stone rather than, um, yeah. you know, something they did wrong and, and that they should never do again. Yeah. That's fantastic. I think so many people think wrongly that parenting is about raising perfect kids. That's completely stupid. Nobody's ever done it in history. Nobody's done it in history. Plus we would never learn. Like you would be raising a not interesting yeah, human for child. We, we learn <laughs> from our mistakes. We learn from the things that we do wrong. And those things are so formative into making us into delightful, fascinating, useful productive cool adults they're in this zone where they get the unconditional love it doesn't really matter what my kids ever do they're still my kids that's the uh, coolest part about being a grandma is that i've got perspective of 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 age and wisdom um when you're a parent you're constantly getting them ready for school and and um, getting them fed and doing their homework and everything everything's doing 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 and it's mm -hmm. all a rush and you're focused on your child is more of a reflection on you. And so you're very aware of how people are perceiving you when you're chewing your child out at Target because they're throwing a temper tantrum. And as a grandparent, you're, it's about being with yeah. them. And you see them as their own little individuals and you yeah. want to nourish and 
nurture and encourage them to be who they really are. Yeah. And it's it's a joyous place to be. Not a reflection on you anymore. Like, that's right. Not grandma. Yeah. It's that's a reflection a, on mom and dad. You ever just throw that off yeah. and be like, yeah, you know, what can you do? Kids, right? My kids, grandkids. <laughs> the stress is off at the meltdown in Target. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. We really it enjoyed talking great. to you. You guys are awesome. Well, thank you. Oh, because of you, we are awesome. Yeah. Thanks for this, being the here. whole trick to a podcast is we just ask questions. And so people are like, this was fun. It was like, this because you were good. We just, yeah. <laughs> we just try to, we just try to listen and ask a question every once yeah. in a while. Otherwise we'd just be two idiots sitting in a studio looking yeah. at each and other. And that name was taken. So we went with guys who do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> good choice. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. You guys have a great day. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today?